Okay, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, the podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, today I have someone dialing in all the way from West Africa, Ghana. So welcome to the podcast, Akwa. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And what time is it over there? It is 2.05 p.m. We're GMT. Okay. Not bad. Not yeah. bad. Not bad. Yeah. yeah. My last, like, I want to say three or four guests, like two of them have been from Africa. I think I interviewed someone from Tanzania. I think I interviewed someone from Zambia. And then now you from from Ghana. So oh, shout great. Out. Yeah. Shout out so to So some the East Africa, now back to West Africa, which is there the best go. coast. There we go. And we're just talking on the podcast, uh, before the podcast on how we got connected, right? Like um, how we met through uh, Africa Podfest like two years ago. Mm-hmm. But it's just interesting how, how small the world of podcasting is, right? It's like, you know, you get to run into people and then rerun into them and then get to have them on your show and then build a professional relationship with them. But pretty interesting. How, how have you, how has podcasting been treating you so far? You know, it's still scary. Every time I put together an episode, I'm still worried about what people will think. Um, I second guess myself a lot. And I'm actually over 80 episodes in. Um, I mean, it really just started off as an experiment and just an opportunity for me to really work on speaking off the cuff. And then now I actually am testing having some scripted stuff for my podcast. You know, I approach everything in my business the same way. It's a challenge. Um, I still enjoy it at the end, but it is very scary. I still think with, you know, going through the process of actually doing it, even after doing 80 episodes. Got it. Got it. And you've had some heavy hitters on your podcast. We'll probably talk about that um, in, in a few minutes. But first, let me try and introduce you. Let me see. Like, it's difficult to introduce you because we have just like 40, 45 minutes for this interview. You have such an extensive resume. But Aqua is, um, she's an entrepreneur. Um, she's a coach, a leadership coach, an executive leadership coach. Uh, she's a consultant, a member of the International Coaching Federation. She's a podcaster. And I mean, she's just like an all-around superwoman. I mean, I don't know how she does all this, but what are the main things out of all those things I said, and even more, like, what are the main things you identify as like professionally? Like, would I say a executive leadership coach, maybe? You know, I really like how you actually introduced me because the number, okay, it's not the number one question, but one of the questions I tend to get from people is like, do you do this full time? Like, what do you actually do? And it's like, no, I, I work for myself full time. I am an entrepreneur. Um, that's not necessarily how I identify first and foremost. And I think a lot of people that I used to work with, and I guess you can say the world I used to be in, because I used to be within the startup world. Not that they look down on what I do, but as a service-based entrepreneur, it very much is different from being a platform or product or you know digital-based entrepreneur. So it is a little bit different. But every single day, I'm trying to figure out how to monetize stuff. I'm trying to figure out you know market product fit. It just looks a little bit different, and it's not tangible in that way. Um, so I would say, yeah, first and foremost, I would definitely say I am an entrepreneur. Like I said, it's not the first word I would use. Typically these days, I'm calling myself a leadership and culture advisor. That's simply just because of my business, um, in terms of my business model. So yes, service-based entrepreneurs, coaches, I mean, consultants do have a business model. Um, My business model is evolving a little bit. Um, It has three different parts. 
So the first part is coaching. So that's one-on-one. And so that of course looks a certain way. I also do workshops and speaking. And so that has its own little sort of business model and way in which I get, you know, leads and convert those leads into business. And the last bit of what I'm sort of pivoting a little bit more into is advising. So I like the word, I think advisor now, and I'm able to, I would say, tap into the different hats that I wear. So sometimes I bring in sort of coaching tools and modalities. Other times, you know, I bring in my own experience. So it's a little bit more of mentorship. And then I can also, of course, put on that consulting hat where I'm talking about sort of best practices I've seen, um, you know, leveraging other external resources to support my clients. Nice. From a surviving startup founder myself, uh, let me just say from one entrepreneur to another, I mean, I can relate to that story exactly because I used to, you know, have a tech company um, like two years ago, but now I run a consulting, what you might classify as small business, but I still go to mm-hmm. those meetings and, you know, still email, email those investors and just friends, you know, from my tech days. And like you said, you know, some of them from that industry look down at what, wait, what are you doing? You're running. The yeah. World. And I'm I want to tell them like, I make money from nothing. Nothing. Literally. <laughs> Take I'm that. Like month one, I started having <laughs> revenue. Like what's the what's the deal building this SaaS thing when you're just, you know, having investors funded, right? Like month you're one, hitting, like I'm, I you're have hitting like it. Four or five mm-hmm. contractors work with me and I'm paying them out of the revenue of the business. Like I don't need investors. So See, and I think that's one of the things that has really shifted my mindset. And so now, and I do spend, I would say, a, a good chunk of my my time, you know, supporting startup founders through other organizations and other initiatives that are very important to me. And one of the things that I always tell them is that now that I've transitioned in this, into this more service-based, um, some people say information-based, whatever, sort of entrepreneurship, I have a very different mindset around whether or not you need investment, how quickly you can make money. And I think so many digital service, I mean, not service, digital product platform-based entrepreneurs really miss out on opportunities because they're just so Mm -hmm. focused on getting that investment that they actually might not need. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is that, sorry to cut you short, like now that I'm running this business, like I'm seeing problems more clearly. So if I was to introduce a tech solution to a problem, because I've done that problem over and over again as a consultant, I know how to properly, not just someone who's coming from like, you know, Oh, you know, we can eradicate whatever we can do. We can go from A to B without those like incremental steps. But that's a story for another day. I mean, I'm sure how you got here. There's like a you, let, let's let's start with the backstory. Let, let's start from a very random age. What age do you want to start from? You want to start from 10 years old, 12 years 10 old, years or 15 old. years old. Aqua. Which one? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, I could talk for years. So you choose. <laughs> Let's see, where was I? Um, so 10 years old, I was in Cote d'Ivoire. So fifth grade, I think we had just gotten a new president through a coup d'etat. So politically unstable, Abidjan. So that's where I was at 10 years old. So, so who were your parents like? What were your parents? Uh, or what's your family dynamic like? Did your your dad travel a lot? Is your dad yeah. originally from Ivory Coast? Like what, no. what's the family dynamic like? Yeah, I have the world's most Ghanaian name. My name is Ghanaian. My dad is Ghanaian. Uh, my mom's okay. American. Um, but my dad worked for an organization that was based in Abidjan. And so, yeah, I grew up primarily in Abidjan. And then we were evacuated. So at 15, I think... I might have been in Ghana for a bit. So we were evacuated from Abidjan, went to Ghana for about six months. And then I ended up at an American high school in Tunis, Tunisia, North Africa. Interesting. So, so yeah. So spent, spent so some time in different parts place. of the continent. I'm sure you must have hated that as a kid, but later in life, you're like, oh, that's not at all. Not at all. So I grew up not- going to international schools. And so the majority of kids I went to school with actually traveled a lot. So 
we were in Abidjan for many, many years and would have never left if it hadn't been for the, you know, um, political situation. So no, um, growing up in different places, you know, wasn't that bad. And fun fact, I actually got to graduate with the majority of kids that I started pre-K with because our parents tended to work for the same place. And we, so we all moved, um, together. Yeah. Interesting. So what did young Aqua want to be when she grew up? I don't know. I think I went through the normal phases. You know, I wanted to be a doctor, wanted to be a writer. The first thing that you said was doctor. So after like, if I didn't know you were Ghanaian, like I just confirmed. <laughs> Done. Um, but, you know, both my parents, funny enough, uh, went to school to be city planners. So I went to school to be a city planner as well. That's what I ended up doing. So, you know, I was in that space, the development space. Uh, my dad worked for the Af Development Bank. I was around a lot of kids from the World Bank, UN, diplomats. And so that was kind of what I thought I wanted to go into. And so my first degree was in growth and structure of cities. I also have a master's in city planning. But yeah, I've ne- never been a planner though. Lots of school in it, but I've never actually practiced. So, so I like to ask this question: Did you see yourself doing some version of what you're doing now when you were no. younger? Like not no. exactly the same thing, but some version, maybe working with people, coaching that type of thing. No, I didn't like people. I always would say people for my um, my undergraduate thesis and even my graduate school thesis. I did something on uh, what was it? It was like city planning, but I did like the really boring city planning. I did like land use environmental planning, which is like looking at like policies and like zoning and that sort of thing. So I Mm -hmm. didn't want to deal with people. And actually a lot of city planners, actually a component of it is dealing with people, negotiating and community planning. And so my mom actually did community planning. My dad did transportation planning and I did land use and environmental planning. Yeah. So I didn't like people. I was like, people, (laughs) they're complicated. (laughs) I mean, but eventually Aqua like ended up like you you got professionally um, from what I understand, like you went to school in the U.S. eventually, and then you went back to Africa at some point, right? Yeah. Went to school in the U.S., did one year of what they call uh, AmeriCorps, which is like a volunteer program, and then was like, I really need warm weather and it's time to go back to, to where I actually think I belong. And so came to Ghana. I think it was 2012. I think it was 2012. Um, and that was my first time being in Ghana as an adult and actually living in Ghana for the longest period of time as well. That was the first time. Um, so yeah. And then went to Nigeria and then have now been back in Ghana since 2020. Got it. And 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 this is very important context, right? Like, you know, you grew up living in different places. Uh, you experienced life in the West. Uh, you're, you're currently living in Ghana because I, I really want to talk about like, leadership today and you know what better person to talk about it particularly like leadership on the continent or even globally like let's involve you know the african diaspora and i'll just hit you with my first blockbuster question like do you think african youths are ready for for leadership in 2023 like global leadership i am a coach so i'll ask a question back what 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 do you what do you what do you consider global leadership what does that actually look like i mean do you think um africans globally whether on the continent or outside are ready to compete um in leadership roles globally whether that's uh you know professionally in the corporate sector or in in sports And, and when i say leadership i mean like running things like you know like you know running industries right because um Again, some people might, uh, let me not go too deep into the weeds, but yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, no, that's fair. Well, thank you for sharing a bit more context. 
I'm not exactly sure how to answer that question because I feel like there are African leaders all around the world that are really kicking ass. I think it's a question of whether or not that opportunity is there. And so if Mm -hmm. I was to talk about what I see a bit on the continent specifically, and this is, of course, a massive generalization. So let's make sure we keep that in mind, talking in generalities here. There there are, I guess you can say, forces, (laughs) ominous forces. Let's call them forces. there, there There is a bit, unfortunately, of a culture in some in some instances, in some industries where it does make it difficult for people maybe who haven't reached a certain age to get access to resources or even get access to start to climb the ladder. So I think I think that might be something that sometimes limits people's ability to get access to those opportunities in the first place. But in terms of the actual skills, I don't think that any leader stops learning. I don't think that there there is a time when any leader says, I know it all and I can do it all. Right. Um, I think that leadership is very context specific and context based. And so as long as leaders are open to cultivating their self-awareness, you know, being flexible of how they engage and then are also constantly checking in, creating space to reflect that they're going to be able to show up no matter where um, and when. But I think it's about getting that opportunity. And I think that's what's maybe not equally um, distributed. Yeah, that makes sense, you know, and I agree. And, you know, I'm going to be doing a lot of bad talk because someone has to do it during, during this Feel interview, free. right? Just to get a quote to answer, even though Feel I agree free. with some of our answers, just to get her to, to answer the question. But, I mean, you're talking about opportunity, right? And I can totally understand that, you know, not just Africans, Black people globally, like, you know, we have limited opportunity just based on, you know, our history and, you know, just the way most of the world is structured and systemic thing that goes on. But, there are levels to opportunity, right? While we can say, hey, you know, at the tippity top, whatever, G7 or whatever, like we're not giving opportunity. Don't you agree that, or do you agree that there's some opportunity that we can create? I mean, we're both entrepreneurs. Like we didn't ask anyone's permission be- before we started our respective companies. Like there are some things we do not need to ask that I can understand if you're a five-year-old, maybe you need to ask your mom, or if you're a 10 year old, you need to ask your mom, hey, I'm hungry, can you cook me something, cook me something. But if your mom has meal prepped and put in the fridge, you can just go there and take it if you're from that type of household. Don't try this at home if you're African. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, my, my question to you is that, do we need opportunity for everything? Now, have we demonstrated that, you know, within the opportunity that, let's say we have that within our grasp, air quote, have we taken advantage of all those opportunities before we even get to the systemic issues? I love, love, love um, that perspective. And I think it's a very important perspective to, to talk about. And I, I agree with everything that you've shared. And I think with that initial answer I had, that was thinking about it from the perspective a little bit more of the corporate space, maybe thinking about companies, thinking about structure, you use the word systemic. I think those all really relate to the first Um, answer that I gave. But if I think about even just myself, right? So talking about both of us in the room and the fact that both of us are entrepreneurs, I agree with you. And I think there's, there's two ways to think about this. There are some people that feel that in order to be something or in order to want something, you have to see it first right? I haven't seen examples of X, Y, and Z. Therefore, it's not possible. And I'm not going to put my foot out. I'm not going to get outside my comfort Mm. zone to even try it. There's some people who believe that. I obviously don't because I don't know anybody else doing what I'm doing. Nobody else in my family is doing what I'm doing, right? I'm building my own thing. I have no problem doing it. So I'm not sure of what stops people necessarily. Um, Even though I am in the people-based business, there are still some things that just don't necessarily make much sense to me. And 
I, you know, I, I don't know what's wrong. I tell people sometimes maybe I was dropped on my head there there's, you know, for, for some people, it's just, I have to see it before I believe it. I have to know someone has been successful with it beforehand. So a lot of this, I think comes down to mindset. And one of the reasons why I think I really enjoy what I do. And I went from feeling like it was physical development, right? So with me, city planning, what I thought it was, what I thought was necessary was to have physical planning, was to have infrastructure in order to have development. But what I think I've started to see and what I've learned is that it actually starts in your head. It starts with your mindset. It starts with your beliefs and your opinions about yourself and others. And I think it's really through that where we're going to have real development. And so I think it's through I'm not saying necessarily opening people's minds, because once again, I'm not one of those people that believes I have to see it in order to believe it, or that I have to see somebody else succeed in it in order for me to believe I can succeed in it. But it is about questioning some of those structures that we have in place, questioning what success is, right? So a lot of the work I do, I think, in the content I create is around questioning what success looks like. You know, I define success as primarily being happy, getting to do what I want, you know, for most of the time. Other people define success very differently. So maybe it's time for us to really reflect on some of those ideas that we have around success. And if we're able to dismantle some of that, I think that's really when people will be able to succeed and really start to build things that are incredible. But you know, until then, we're just going to be very much limited by how, unfortunately, success has been defined in the West. Because for the majority of the world, unfortunately, I think that is how they also feel like they're going to make their way through the world or that's their purpose or however they want to define it. So um, I, th I think, it, I think it really starts there. That's pretty interesting. I, I, I think you, you hit a nerve there with me, at least um, with, you know, having to see something first, because to be honest, like I, I live, I live in the U S right. I, I wouldn't be here if I didn't see my brother go to the U S because that was even in my frame of like, I couldn't like, I remember when I was in high school and we wrote the local, I, I think they call it WIAC, the West African Examination mm -hmm. Council. We wrote the 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 examination and then we had finished all our papers and we had these two, three people who are still going to class to read because I went to boarding school, right? And we're like, what are you reading for? And they were like, oh, no, I'm reading for my A-levels or O-levels or whatever. And we're, I, we didn't understand, like, what do you mean? Like, exams and over what is A? Is there a paper we didn't know about? Like, what, That's what, incredible. And, we couldn't even you just stumbled it. It onto it. That's seen, incredible. Like later, like it took me seeing my brother going abroad and starting to get exposed through movies and things. So for me to even know that, oh, this airport is not just to travel within Nigeria. I can actually fly to a different country. But that's that's pretty interesting. So my question to you about that now is this. Um, so we have to see it, right? So does that now contribute to why as Black people or we are mostly, because you talked about mindset, right? Does that contribute to why we have more of a talent mindset than an owner's mindset? Because maybe Ooh. we grow up seeing the talent, right? We look up to LeBron James. We don't look up to the person who owns the Los Angeles Lakers because we can't relate. We don't see that person. We don't know who that person is. But we have doctors, engineers, lawyers, musicians, athletes all around us, which for the most part, I'm not saying you know, those are bad things. I'm just saying maybe that's what we see and maybe that's why we gravitate towards those things that we don't see enough black people who own things that we can identify with. And maybe that's why we gravitate more towards talent mindset than owner's mindset. Would you say you agree with that? Very interesting. 
Very, very interesting. I think first I had a thought about sort of seeing your brother and I think that's incredible, right? So I'm not, I'm not, so it is important, right? For us to of course have role models, see things. It does help expand what's possible. But I think we also now live in a world where we have access to way more information than we ever should have as well. And so sometimes I feel like it's a bit difficult for people to say certain things because unless you have difficulty getting access to the internet, and I would say the majority of the world does have difficulty getting access to the internet, but the people who talk to me typically don't because they're also typically talking to me through the internet. So that, you know, there's, there's that, right. Um, we're just in a world or at a time where there's, you know, so much information. And if we want that information, we could actually get access to it if we want to, just like if we wanted access to those people, we could Google them and we could stalk the heck out of them and get connected to them in some way or shape or form. Right. Yeah. But you don't um, know what you don't know. Right. Like if you don't even know who No, that's Google, completely like, fair. I, no, no, no. I, I agree. I think, I think that's completely fair. It's just about starting somewhere. I had no idea about coaching when I first started, never heard of it, never even been coached when I first took my co first coaching course. And I do understand as well, like there are, uh, what's the right word? I know a lot of people don't like this word, but there are different levels as well, depending on like privileged, right? What type of privilege you have, how you grew up. And I just grew up in a, a very, you know, I hate to say it, like very privileged, you know, space as well, where access to opportunities, certain things were just never a question. Um, you know, certain things were just standard, right? And so that also depends on who, you know, who gave birth to you, <laughs> who all took right. care of you, right? It, it all really starts there, right? I think that's that that tends to be even what we think we can even potentially achieve, right? What is that and who's around us first? Um, but to the question that you just asked in terms of what we see, um, what we have access to, what we can touch, I think possibly, I think I think that's that's possibly something um, that happens. Once again, I think it's just going to depend on how you grew up, who's around you. Because growing up, I don't know. I mean, that's that's not necessarily something that was very, like if I think back to like my role models, honestly, it was mostly my parents. I just thought my parents were really cool. I literally went to go do this, the same thing my parents did in school because I thought they were so cool. So yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. But I, I can definitely see how that can have a huge impact, right? What what level you're looking at, and then once again, how you define success, right? And I think that this idea of actually being the owner. And I love that. Like, what is, what does that mean for how you show up the opportunities you take, like really trying to embody that as opposed to sort of being, you know, the, in this case, like that, that player or the talent. Yeah. I'd want to be the owner. Why do I, I don't want to like work out eight days a week. I know there's right. only seven days, but you know what I mean? You know, like, and so I think it's, I think it's a bit about how you define success. So once again, this might be a very like, crude way of thinking about it. But if you think success is like, I don't know, driving big cars, having a certain entourage, dressing like that, that is maybe what is associated with talent versus, mm. you know, the owner um, and the owner, maybe not even being that present or available. Right. So also it's about what you consume as well. Um, so maybe as a kid, like if that's what you were like watching and what you were consuming, that's maybe what you thought was success. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure. That, that that's my that's my initial thought right now. Maybe I'll have different <laughs> got thoughts it, later. Got it. Hey, and we, and we can take the interview down a notch. I, I didn't mean to bombard you with all this question. Oh, not I'm at just, all. Not I just, at you all. Know, I saw your resume and I thought we should have, you know, you know, this conversation because it is an important conversation. And you know, you touched on access to information, which I think is very, very important that we have, you know, we've never had, you know, it's been said before, we've never had the access to information that we have in this day and age. It's you know, crazy. throughout history. It's too much. Right. Oh, and gosh. when you talked about 
not being given opportunity earlier. I think that's one of the ways, right? It's not even that some sometimes it's deliberate restricting, you know, deliberately yes. restricting certain information, but like not democratizing information also affects people. Like I remember a friend of mine back in Nigeria, um, this dude was was a mad creative dude. And he always like would do like graphics back back then and like try to do videos and edit and what. And his dream was to work with uh, MTN or one of these telecommunication companies back home. And he actually, it took him like a year, but he actually found his way into a marketing manager's office or something, MTN, and showed him, oh yeah, I designed this thing for MTN. There's, here's a demo. I'd love to design this thing for you. And marketing manager was looking at him. And when he was done, he was like, have you ever heard of the advertising industry? <laughs> and he, he he didn't know the advertising industry existed. Exactly. He thought everyone went directly to the companies. He didn't know that there were these companies that managed brands and, and did all this stuff. And luckily for him, the, the manager at MTN introduced him to their advertising company. And That's like, oh, this young man came in, like give him an internship, like blah, blah, blah. And that was his foray into the industry. And he's still in advertising today, but... That's what information does, right? If you don't know what you don't know, like how will you even start to, you know, but you touch on something also important, like what defines success, right? And obviously that's different for everyone, but what do you think defines success for the continent, given our history, given where, you know, um, we're supposed to be um, collectively, um, what do you think, would be good for the continent if you if you can pick out one or two things that hey it'd be nice to have Africa lead in this or be in this position. What what do you think that is? Oh um first of all I just wanted to say I think that story about your your friend is super cool. And I think it's incredible <laughs> that he was willing to put himself out there because that's the only way. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Like the only way to move forward is by trying something, getting feedback, pivoting and trying new things. So that's that's incredible that he did that. You know, to this this question you just asked, I don't know, the first thing that comes to mind is just like ourselves. I know that might sound like really bizarre, but I, I think that's where it all starts. I think that in order, and, and I mean, that's also how I define success, right? I want to make sure that first and foremost, I like myself and I like what I'm doing. You know, I, I know some people listening to this might be like, ha oh, ha, everyone likes themselves. And I, I don't think so, because I think that liking ourselves means that we are consuming you know, primarily from, from closest to us as possible. Yeah. I would, I would start there. I would start mm. there. I like it. I like it. And, you know, again, enough of the grandiose questions. Let's talk a little bit about you and what you do, <laughs> because I, eventually I'd I like love to the talk grandiose about you know, questions. maybe some possible solutions, uh, but just to understand what you do. So what it is, what, what is it you do with your clients on a day-to-day -day basis? Just break it down for the listeners. Yeah. So I have three basic parts to my business. I think I sort of uh, talked a bit about it before, but ultimately there's three basic things that I do with my clients. And so it's either on, um, you know, on a call one-on-one -on -one, or it's within a group or it's sort of through other, other types of interactions, you know, either, you know, sort of more teaching at or training at or facilitating a conversation um, or experiential where they're actually testing and role-playing. But ultimately it's, it comes down to three basic things. The first is really supporting my clients of cultivating their self-awareness. And I think that's really the, the first element of being a successful human being, right? Having an understanding of what are my wants? What are my desires? Who am I? What's important to me right now? Um, you know, where, where am I hitting 
um, a boundary where, where do I see myself potentially? That's all that self-awareness piece. And with a lot of the clients that I tend to work with, it typically is around self-awareness with how they show up within the workplace. Um, what are those strengths? What are those areas for improvement? Um, and then ultimately it leads to the second bit that I tend to do with my clients. And that's really that engagement piece. So after you've had some awareness around who am I, a huge part of being an effective leader is recognizing that no one else is you. Um, and that no one's going to do anything for you just because you want them to, um, you actually have to engage, right? And that's that second piece. So really teaching, learning, facilitating, supporting leaders so they can figure out how to simplify engagement for themselves. And you simplify engagement primarily because you can't do it on your own. You can't build anything by yourself. So even though I am primarily a solopreneur, I still work with others. I still work through others. It's really important to figure out how to connect with others and also to figure out, you know, what's important to others so that you can make sure you're creating win-win opportunities at the end of the day. And then the last piece of it, and this is what's going to really help you get some direction. Um, it's going to really help you decide whether or not there's any growth, because I think one thing that human beings need is, is some level of metrics to see that they've actually gone from A to B. Um, and that's very helpful with motivating and, and keeping and moving people along, um, and even building followership. And that's that expectations piece. And I think that for so many of us, whether we're in the workplace or outside the workplace work, you know, expectations aren't actually explicitly shared. We just think people should know that they should be able to read our minds. I mean, we see it in personal relationships all the time. Ah, but you're a woman. You should know. I should know what, right? Same thing in the workplace. You know, I've told you once, you know, when did you tell them? Did you write it down? Are they, you know, on the same page? Do they have the capacity? Do they have the capability? Do they have the resources to actually achieve those expectations that you set? And are they clear and everyone's on the same page? So it's really those three things, I think, day in and day out, whether it's a workshop or a one-on-one -on -one coaching conversation. So awareness, engagement, expectation setting. Um, and I think those three core pieces is really what allows leaders to show up. Um, and these days, I think I'm calling it to show up so they can go from being reactive to reflective or strategic or visionary, whatever word that you want to use. Got it. And, and very important work you're doing, especially like um, from what I understand, you do this work in the mostly in the corporate environment because, you know, it can be it can be a bit of a rat race. Like you're just you need someone from the outside looking in. And like you said, you know, um, directing and that type of thing, because um, corporate leaders sometimes um, you're not really trained for this. You, you can undergo training, but, you know, leading yourself and being self-motivated is one thing, but leading other people and still staying true and be around that individual. Like I know I I struggle with that, you know, like I'm never always around that. This is either I'm focusing on my personal life and relationship or focusing on family or I'm focusing on work. Like it's difficult to have that rounded where you're giving all three the attention they deserve at, you know, equal levels. So how does how does one even do that? Like maybe it's just the way my brain is wired. I can focus on one thing more than once. I, I tend to go on these sprints, right? Well, the next six months, I just have a goal like professionally and I'm just like laser focused. And then I come out of the water in six months time and, you know, some relationships might not be there anymore and all these things. How, how does someone like me even start to cultivate a, a better, more healthier, well-rounded lifestyle? Yeah. I mean, I think the first step is defining it. And that's where that, that cultivate awareness piece starts with. So, you know, it seems like you have some awareness around, you know, where you are and then where you want to go. Um, so that's really that first piece. Like, okay, if this isn't working for me, if this isn't something that I want to continue to happen, what do I want instead? 
right? So it really sometimes does start with that that vision, if that's something that resonates or just really reflecting on what's what's the alternative for me. Um, and then after that, you know, a huge part also, I think, is giving yourself like space and grace and and recognizing that life ebbs and flows, right? Nothing is going to be perfect. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs. You can't focus on everything at the same time. And so a part of it is also just rewiring a lot of our own expectations about what's possible and most importantly, what should, right? So using those words should, if that's a word that you're using, that should be something that makes you really curious about like who defined that that's how it's meant to be. What am I comparing how I'm showing up to? And if, you know, and so you, you mentioned specifically those relationships, if those relationships are that important. What other tools or resources can I use to make sure that I'm able to engage with them every so often? So a lot of it just honestly starts with that self-awareness piece and knowing that I want to do something different and then taking small steps. I think another thing that we tend to do, especially as like super ambitious entrepreneurs or leaders is feeling like we have to take these massive steps or these changes and mm -hmm. that can actually be incredibly Facts. scary, right? And so that ends up leading some people to procrastinate, um, others to to just you know shut down potentially. And so it's really about what is the next one small thing I can do. I think a, a really powerful question is you know asking yourself if I can make this one percent better, what would that look like? Um, if I could do something differently tomorrow, what would that be? And I think it's really through those small intentional steps where you can actually have a really big impact. I think I mentioned this before. One of the reasons why a lot of leaders are excited to work with me is because they're ultimately able to create space to reflect, which to some people listening to this might be like, that's, I do that all the time, but you'd be surprised the number of people that rather watch Netflix or do other things than actually sit down and think about what's happening. And so even if you decide that the next six months, this is going to be my focus, you can still create time every so often to reflect and just see how far, like, is there a way I can make sure I can incorporate this other thing that's also, you know, important to me as well. Um, but it's going to look different for everybody, you know, so I, I try and reflect primarily like on a monthly basis, um, to sort of see things in relation to some of my yearly goals. That's maybe not something that would work for everybody. Some people might need to actually reflect every single day to make sure they're going in the right place. If you look at a startup, for example, you know, when I was working at Jumia, we were pivoting probably every two weeks. And so it becomes even more important to have those, those conversations with the stakeholders, right? And engage with them and let them know, hey, we are shifting our focus so that we can all move in a different direction. Um, so it's going to look different. It's going to look a little different for everyone, um, but it really just starts with cultivating your awareness and then recognizing that you're not a robot and nothing's going to go perfectly. Well, yeah, spoken spoken like a true professional. And I love the way, you know, you broke it down because, you know, I wouldn't have thought about half of the stuff you said. Um, so thank you for sharing that. I'm sure our listeners are appreciative as well. Let's touch a little bit on the personal side as well. Like what is, what is a cause? Like, how do you, cause I'm sure you do a ton of work just based off your resume. How do you, what are the things you enjoy? What are the things you do to relax? Like, how do you find fulfillment in your own life, life's pursuits and, you know, just everyday stuff? I love food. Um, and for some reason, I don't like, I've always liked food, always really been into food, but for some reason this year, I've just been a lot more like food. I really like food. Uh, and now that I work from home, I think working from home can be a double-edged sword, right? You can work all the time and like never be off, but I think I've been able to cultivate a routine that really works for me. And I think that's another key thing as well. Like no two people are the same. So no two people are going to have the same habits or routines or will need the same habits or routines. 
But I think one of the things that I'm constantly seeking in my life is this, this feeling of satisfaction. And I think that all human beings are sort of seeking some level of feeling. Um, I think everyone has to decide for themselves what that is or sort of lean into what is it that I'm seeking. And for me, it's just satisfaction. And I get so much satisfaction out of the things I, I try and do during the day. So I'm a very sporty athletic person. I grew up playing sports. And so creating time and space for that's very important to me. That will look very different over the course of the month. You know, so I have, I have time to do things with like, you know, groups of people and play sports. So I play uh, ultimate Frisbee. I play a little bit of football recently, um, recently got invited to play a little bit of volleyball. And so that's super important to me. I help, I think it helps keep me grounded. I have a ton of energy. Um, even today on this call, like Normally, like my pace right now is a lot slower than it can be sometimes. Like I speak really quickly, especially when I'm very passionate about what I do. And so playing sports, making sure that I wake up in the morning and, you know, stretch or do yoga or something. And I did that this morning just really allows me to, to ground myself. And then, you know, of course, my other love is just food and making sure that I have really good tasting food. Uh, like today, for example, like I made a really, really great, like, um, like, it was chicken. It was like uh, oven fried chicken. I love nice. carrots recently. I don't know why I'm really into carrots recently, but like with carrots, potatoes, and some aubergines, like that makes me super happy, super satisfied. And I always have to have dessert as well. Like that's, that's me. And those are things that I've realized can really shift how I feel, um, and really help keep me satisfied. And so I make sure that throughout my day, um, those are my breaks, right? So I will take a break to go actually cook lunch, right? I'll take a break, sometimes go cook dinner and prepare that for myself. And I get a lot of satisfaction out of it. And so I think it's really just making sure I know what works well for me. And then also being open to, uh, not necessarily pivoting it. So I think I have sort of a standard routine, but then I know that there are some times during the month where that routine may not work. And so I have like these alternatives that I might fit in um, to help me with that as well, right? So I know like when I have an earlier start to my day, I might not do my full stretch routine, but that there's these core pieces that I do and that helps keep me from being disappointed. And I think one of the things I've had to learn now working for myself full-time for the last five years is that as an entrepreneur, like it's so easy to be disappointed, right? So having those routines helps keep me aligned, helps keep me thinking that, Hey, like, nope, I'm making some progress. And then a part of it also is like, I have some journaling that I do as well to also help remind me like, Hey, no, I'm making progress. Things are getting done. And every single day is not going to be exactly the same. And that's okay. Wow. That's, that's super impressive. Like I need to, I need to take a master class. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't compare yourself. Comparison is the thief of joy. This is what works been, for you. This has been an exciting conversation. Yeah. And, you know, as we start to wind down here, I want to give you an opportunity to also talk about your podcast, Open Door Conversations. So, I mean, you touched on kind of like how I got started a little uh, in the beginning, but what are, who are some of the, you know, I mean, you've had some heavy hitters on your podcast, but who are some of the, your favorite guests that you've had? And if you were to refer someone to a particular episode, someone who just wants to discover you for the first time, which would it be? Oh, I've, I've loved every single conversation I've had. If any of you've listened to my podcast, you probably hear me say, love that, <laughs> excited a million and 10 times. But there's just so many good episodes. And a lot of the people I interview are actually people I've either worked with or I've done work with um, or I've invested in. 
you know, or, you know, I've, I've joined a class and I've seen them do something. Uh, some of them have also been people who've been introduced to me from amazing humans within my network. There's so many good episodes. I think it's really just going to depend on where you want to start. I think if you are, you know, I'm thinking to one of my favorite humans within the space that I work. So, you know, leadership development. Also, um, if you want to get a little bit more into thinking about like, how do I rethink some of the conditioning or things that I've been told are success and I really want to break free of that or have an opportunity to challenge some of these assumptions and opinions I have about that, I would definitely say that you should check out an episode done with a, a friend and service provider friend of mine. How am I blanking on her name? Shiva. There That's you go. Shiva. <laughs> um, so if you go to my website and just search her name, and I think the title of the episode is like something related to white supremacy, like dismantling mm. white supremacy or something like that. But honestly, all it's about is just helping people rethink like what a success look like. Um, and Shiva sort of takes us through her journey as, you know, the the daughter of immigrants who now lives in another part of the world. And I think it's it's just such an incredible episode. And I think it's one of our top episodes as well. And I think it's just really something interesting to listen to. Uh, more recently, I've had two really interesting, I think, entrepreneurs from this part of the world. So West African entrepreneurs. Um, so always love to give a shout out to TD. Um, so Tommy, um, T -D? Tommy Davies, TD. Yeah. Oh, I know so Tommy he, Davies. He's Nigerian, right? He's Nigerian. Yeah. Incredible oh, yeah. human. You know, so a few years ago, I listened to him talk or he was sort of co-hosting this uh, mentorship program that I was a mentor in. And he has this process of helping startups, early stage startups, really think about whether or not they are a startup. And that's the thing. People don't understand the difference between an SME and a startup. And so he recently wrote a book um, and he's just a really fun guy to talk to, you know, as well. Um, and he's always been so kind and generous with his time um, with me. And so if you are listening to this and you want to build your own business, you have a startup, I definitely think that that is a must listen episode. It came out recently. And then another episode that came out recently, that's just in the back of my head. It's also actually surprisingly, even though it's super recent, it's actually one of the most downloaded and listened to is an episode that I did um, with Alex Bram. So Alex Bram is a Ghanaian entrepreneur. He is the co-founder of a, a company that actually started off as doing text messages, you know, bulk SMSs. He started there, but what I think is so incredible about his story and the people he surrounds himself with is that he's really pivoted now to trying to build a, uh, or he has built a super app. Mm. And I just think, I think, he, yeah, he's just a really incredible individual, very authentic. He's a, I call him the professor. I think he's just a really interesting person. And so if you're a leader that's sort of struggling with, how to be authentic, how to, you know, find maybe passion somewhat and, and evolving what you're doing. Um, so evolving the product. And that's something very difficult, right? For a lot of entrepreneurs, like, right. you know, it's really like getting really obsessed with solving problems as opposed to the product or solution you've created. That is the episode for you. I think he, he does a really great job of sharing his experience and the journey that he's been on, um, around building his business that really has evolved over time as well. And he's done it in a country where a lot of people feel like there's not the biggest market um, and he's making money as well. So I think he also will help to shift some misconceptions about like, just solve a problem that 
people are willing and excited to pay for, right? That's another mm. thing I think a lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily spend a lot of time and energy on, right? It's a lot of like, let's copy and paste what we see working here. Um, and it's like, right. no, you really need to solve a real problem and build real relationships. And that's another thing that Alex talks about in that episode as well. Man, to be honest, like, I feel like I'm missing out. I don't know. Like I, I, I emigrated in 2017. And while I feel like, hey, I've been afforded some opportunity by living in the U.S., I left, I remember when I left, I used to have a roommate where like, I think we're like almost eight, nine people living in like a two bedroom apartment, all these 22 year olds trying to make things happen back then. And one of us were, was working in Jumia and he would come oh, back okay. home with all these stories. Like we'll talk to like late at night, like 1 a.m. about the tech sector. And I was like, man, and I remember when Florida Wave was just starting. I remember when Playstock was just getting off the ground, when Playstock was the first was such a buzz when Paystock was the first to get into Y Combinator. And when I'm looking at what's going on in the content, I'm like, should I be here or should I be back? Oh, I don't know. No comparing. Oh. No comparing. You're doing incredible I things where know. you are. No, but we'll, we'll see at least, man. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It hasn't been that long. I mean, just 2017, but sometimes as the years go by, I feel like I'm missing out. But I'll definitely want to. I was in Ghana in 2018, but I haven't been back okay. since to the continent uh, for. I was like, what, five years ago now? Yeah, you need to so, come and visit, right? You can still have an impact and still, you know, connect. Right. Yeah, I mean, if you feel like your life is where you are, like, yeah. Yeah, I, I try to still stay connected, but it's nothing like being on the ground. But um, we'll see how that goes. But hey, Alko, I want to thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you professionally, someone hears this, would like to work with you, an organization or, or a leader, an individual, how do they do that? Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to share how to do that. Um, LinkedIn is my, my number one, like social media platform. So if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, just, uh, search my name, or you can just check out my website, which is just my first name and then last initials. So AKUANM.com. Um, you can also reach me there. Perfect. Thank you again for coming on the episode and for our listeners, uh, it's culture class podcast everywhere. Um, search for us on social media, send us a DM, uh, check out our website at cultureclasspodcast.com and we hope to bring you more interesting guests from the continent and even beyond. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.